The Word of God is so powerful and so rich. What sets it apart from other religious books is prophecy. And I use that in the sense of a foretelling of what is coming. For example, Jesus Christ was prophesied that he would be coming in the Old Testament, and he fulfilled nearly 300 of those prophecies in his first coming. He will fulfill more in his second coming. What makes it unique is some of those were written, for example, Isaiah the prophet wrote in 700 A.D., 700 years before that event. And yet it was right down to the very mark of accuracy. And so when we read things in the Bible, uh, for example, we're gonna talk about it next week, digital currency. When you read about a time in the future where the only exchange of currency will be through a mark in the hand or the forehead, think how radical that must have sounded 2,000 years ago. When they were trading goats and sheep and, and agriculture for the things they needed. And equally, we're going to see some of those things today. A few years ago, I was reading in the New York Times, and I was captured by the front page headline that had these words, Iraq suffers as Euphrates River dwindles. Now, if you're not acquainted with biblical prophecy, that might not shock you, or you might look at it simply as an environmental problem. The article went on and was very clear in bringing out the prophetic words in the book of Revelation. It actually quoted Revelation chapter 16 and verse 12. And let me read it to you. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and on its water was dried, so that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. Now what's interesting about it is that we know that the Euphrates River can dry up. It was so alarming for the New York Times that they called attention to it and brought back a scripture about the Euphrates River. It is a prophetic word. And then there's a the reference to the kings of the East. We're gonna talk about the identity of the kings of the East in a moment and their agenda, but I want you to know that these are some times that are prophetically setting a stage, the days we're living in today, setting a stage for what will be on the earth, and we don't know when because Jesus didn't tell us the day of his return, but he said you can know the times and the seasons. And what that means is I can understand framework about his return. I can understand something about what's already happened and been fulfilled prophetically, and so it gives me some sense of where I am in this chronology of the return of Christ. So who are these kings of the East and why did the New York Times think it's worthy of a front page story? Well, John the Apostle spoke of an army of 200 million soldiers. Now let me just stop for a moment and think about this. John the Apostle wrote in 90 AD, and what he said is, there's going to be an army come from the east that's going to encompass 200,000 soldiers. The kings of the east was that army, crossing up on a dried up Euphrates River bed. Now what makes that so strange, if you think about it, the estimated population at 100 AD was 100 million. So let's put it in today's understanding. There's roughly seven billion people on planet Earth. Can you imagine someone writing that there was going to be an army of 14 billion people? 
That doesn't even seem possible, does it? And yet, Time Magazine reported in 1965, the May 21st edition, that China claimed to have an army with their militia of 200 million soldiers. So we see when we rip things from the headline and we begin to compare them to Scripture, we ask the question, is this what the apostle was writing about? Does this relate? Does this make sense? Does it fit into the narrative? You see, we're supposed to know the times we're living in, but we're also supposed to know the Word of God so that we can interpret the times that we're living in. If you don't become an interpreter of what's happening, fear can capture your heart. You shouldn't let fear, the Word of God is powerful. It reveals these things to us that we might have peace and comfort and knowledge about our future and not fear. Remember, the Bible says that God has never given over his children to wrath, and the wrath of God is that battle of Armageddon, that final outpouring uh, in the end of time. He says, that's not for my people. That is, my people will be rescued from that. My people will be raptured out of planet Earth. Well, let's look at uh, what Napoleon said about China. Napoleon, arguably one of the greatest generals ever, said, when China awakens, the world will tremble. For so long, China was called the paper tiger. It was a, a force that had not realized its power and thus was described as a paper tiger. Those days are clearly over. Let's take us back to the book of uh, Isaiah now and look at the identity of the kings of the East. The Bible tells us something about it. When you begin to put the pieces together, it'll make sense. By the way, if you have the church app, you can go there, and all the sermon notes I'm giving you will be on the app. And we publish those before service begins so that you can follow along and take notes. Isaiah chapter 49 and verse 12 says this, Surely these shall come from afar, look, those from the north and west, and these from the land of Shinnim. That's the ancient name for China. So we see a little revelation here about China mentioned in Scripture. But we have to look at the bigger picture whenever you study the Word of God. You always want to read it in its context. You want to know what's going on. So we're going to take a little bit bigger picture and look at Isaiah 49. And I'm going to give you verses 9, 10, and 12. Listen to what it says. That you may say to the prisoners. Who are the prisoners? They're the ones that are in China. Go forth to those who are in darkness. So you're going to rescue somebody out of darkness. Show yourselves. For he who has mercy on them will lead them even by the springs of water, and he will guide them. Surely these shall come from the land of Shinnom. So one of the things the Bible says here is that there are those who are captured in darkness. There are those who are captured as prisoners. They need to be set free. There is no other ideology that has probably captured more and destroyed more people on planet Earth than communism. We, we read about Hitler and six million Jews, but most people don't talk about Mao Zedong and 50 million Chinese that were killed. And the atrocities are still going on in China today. And so we have to understand that there, even though there's a powerful, powerful underground church in China, some say there are as many as 300 or 350 million Christians in China. That's as many people as there are in the United States. 
And in China, the church is really divided into two groups, the state-sponsored church and then the underground church. And the state-sponsored church really marches to the step of the Communist Party. They really don't have freedom to preach the gospel. In fact, they're forbidden from preaching from the book of Revelation. Why? Because it talks about the kings of the East. They're smart enough to know someone said this is a dangerous book to allow to be set free on people in China. You see, the greatest liberation for mankind is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God. And it, it destroys the ideology. That's why when, when the governor made such a, a big overreach and said churches can't open, uh, we complied for a little while until I realized this was a bigger picture thing. There are churches still in California that have not reopened and have no plans to. By estimate, there's about 35,000 churches and there's about 3,500 that are open. Do that math. You can't close for a year and not lose some ground in your spiritual life. Online is helpful and powerful and it's a great source, but it does not take the place of corporate worship, fellowship, and the word of the living God. Let's review, the land of Shinnan is an ancient name for China. Isaiah wrote in about 740 BC that the inhabitants are, are prisoners living in darkness. You see, sometimes you, ask, you have to ask yourself, well, how did Isaiah know what he knew? In fact, remember, he predicted and talked about in Isaiah chapter seven and verse 14 that there would come a virgin who would give birth to a child who would be called God with us, Emmanuel. He predicted the virgin birth of Jesus Christ 700 years before that time. How did Isaiah know that? He knew that because of divine inspiration. The Bible is not a religious book written by people who wanted to get into religion. It is a book downloaded by God, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and preserved in its entirety by the Holy Spirit himself. So that when you encounter the word of God, you're encountering God. It's called the very breath of God. The Greek word, the inspiration of God, is the word breath of God. So when you read the word of God, the Bible says in Hebrews, it is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. So you're not just reading something. You never master it because it's always trying to master you. Amen? Amen. Also, John the Apostle spoke in 90 AD of this vast army. How did he know that there would be an army of 200 million that would be revealed in 1965? If 1965 they had a standing army and militia of 200 million, how many could they sacrifice on the battlegrounds of war today? In Revelation chapter 16 and verse 12, it says the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare for the way of the kings of the east. Well, what's the agenda of these kings? Psalm chapter two, verses one and three, is actually what we call a messianic psalm. What that means is that it speaks about a coming day when the Messiah would rule or reign in some form or fashion. Now remember, Psalms was written way before Isaiah, so it goes back probably some eight or 900 years before the birth of Christ. But listen to what it says in Psalm chapter two, verses one and three. Why do the nations rage and the people plan a vain thing? 
The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. So what does it say? It says there is an effort on the part of the kings, the leaders, the political powers that be, to somehow resist the Lord. Why is that? Because you see, there is this sense at which if you bow to Jesus, you won't bow to me. If I can't control you because you don't fear anything except God, then I have to somehow diminish your religion, I have to somehow destroy your faith, or I have to control you in some form or fashion. And so it says, let us break our bonds. What are the bonds? What are the cords? They're the things that restrain government from running wild like communism has run wild. And we see it in every place that communism has been, it has been a destroyer of people and lives. My wife and I were privileged to go to Romania in 1990. It was shortly after that that uh, Ceausescu had fallen from power and was assassinated uh, or actually uh, under trial was taken out uh, on December 25th, 1989. And it, it, was, it was fresh. Communism was fresh in the land. And uh, it was interesting to talk to some of the people that had been there a long time. And they said, this has been the disaster of Romania, com communism. It has destroyed the lifeblood. What was before World War II, the breadbasket of Europe, had been taken over by despotic ruler and a, and a bad ideology called communism. Everywhere it goes, it has exactly the same effect. Well, let's talk about some of the agenda that China has. One of them is world domination. I don't think that comes as a shock to anyone here today, but in what ways? I'm gonna give you a couple of examples today, and then we're gonna keep drilling into this uh, in week two. But would you believe that China has an agenda to destroy the Word of God? Now, a number of years ago, because of the cost of printing and because of the cost of labor, American Bible publishers decided to shift all of their publishing, about 85% of it, over to China. So here's an article that came in First Things on December 22nd of uh, last year, and it is China's threat to the Bible. Well, when I saw that, I was pretty intrigued by it, and I began to read a little bit deeper. Well, Amity Press is the press that publishes Bibles, and they have a near monopoly on all the Bibles that are printed in the entire world, meaning your Bible was probably printed at Amity Press. It is a wing of the Communist Party. Well, they have some plans because they recognize that the Bible needs to be controlled. So the way they've controlled the state church is they've said you can't read from these sections and can't teach from these sections, okay? So the plans are to print a new distorted Bible. They will only print Bibles in China, for the Chinese that are approved by the Communist Party. In other words, the Communist Party is going to do the work of editor and figure out what needs to be in there. They will continue to effectively deny religious freedom to tens of millions of Christians. This is a quote from this article, all right? Uh, this comes after regulations two years ago that censored the Bible from Chinese internet. I think we're experiencing some censoring. How about you? Banned youth from church services and Bible camps and authorized the burning of Bibles possessed without state 
authorization. Now, by the way, I took that from the U.S. Embassy-China. So this is not, you know, some right-wing, Jesus-crazed people. This is our U.S. Embassy. They're reporting this is a real threat. So let me ask you this question. What if you could not obtain a Bible in America moving forward? The good news is most people have three or four at home. They haven't read any of them, but they've got them. Amen? <laughs> but what would happen if Bibles stopped being printed? What if Bibles started being confiscated because of hate speech, because of subversion to the state? You see, you always have to think at least the next step or two in the journey, what would this mean to us? I really believe that one thing this reminds us of in this season is that it's important for us to know the Word of God, to remember the Word of God. That is, take some time and begin to, to lay up the Word of God in your heart that you might know what He has to say so there is no uh, reason to you, you can't survive without a Bible. You've got the Bible in you. I remember the, the movie, The Book of Eli. And uh, do you remember that? And they all were trying to find the book. How many of you have seen this movie? Because I'm going to spoil her alert right now big time. But in the end, it turned out that, that Denzel Washington was blind. And he functioned this whole movie as a, as a person who was blind. But everybody was trying to get the book, and they knew he had the book. So wherever he was, they tried to get the book from him. Finally, when he makes it to the coast to the place that is storing up Bibles and storing up books and literature because it had all been destroyed. He sat down and they said, where is the book? And he said, I am the book. He had memorized the entire word of God. And he said to the one transcribing, he said, get ready. I'm gonna start giving it to you now. Word by word, line by line. Now you wanna watch the movie, don't you? Yeah, all right, I want to watch it again myself. Let me give you another threat in world domination. We don't think about this, but genetic data is where the future is going. Biotech is going to be the most frightening thing moving forward in our world today. Now, biotech has a lot of advantages. We will all benefit uh, in, in many, many ways from the technology and for the hard work and the brilliance that comes out of the laboratory and, and from nurses and doctors and, and all those. So I'm, I don't want to in any way diminish that, but I want to talk to you a little bit about China and what they're doing. So um, there's a slide here we're going to put up, and this comes from uh, the National Counterintelligence and Security Center of the FBI. And uh, you can see it's a pretty new article, February 21. And the headline reads, China's collection of genomic and other healthcare data from um, America, risk to privacy and U.S. economic and national security. Well, when you see a headline that, like that coming from the FBI, it makes you kind of want to wonder what is going on there. And it reads, would you want your DNA and other healthcare data going to an authoritarian regime with record exploitation, DNA for repression and surveillance? So let me just kind of walk you through what that means, because it doesn't sound good, right? Can we all agree? That doesn't sound good. So what, what, Russia, or what China has been doing over the course of time is they have been either hacking, for example, they hacked into Anthem Medical and they got a lot of records of Americans. They've also been buy, buying biotech companies. They bought a very large one down in San Diego. 
They've also been donating a lot of money to, into universities in order to get control and get access. So um, right now, it's, it's estimated that they probably have at least the DNA um, of, of every American, at least 40% of the, every American in, in uh, their DNA. Now think about that. Well, what are they going to do with that? Well, the future for medicine is customized medicine. And what that means is they can personalize your medical treatment according to your DNA. So if they have your medical records and they have your DNA, biotech is going to find a way with artificial intelligence to actually control your health from your inside out. That means it could be a microchip inside of you that could send signals when certain things happen or predispositions come. It's also got another frightening side because uh, the more they know about you, the less likely you are to receive life insurance. Because if they can determine that based on your genetic code, you won't live quite as long as you think you will, or we thought you would based on the tables, then we're not going to insure you at all. Well, with the, with the emergence of, of the coronavirus, which came, I call it the Chinese virus, um, with the emergence of that, and we're going to talk about whether that came out of a fish market or out of a laboratory next week. But with the emergence of that, what that did was it mobilized China to become the leading, um, the leader in all of the testing for the coronavirus. So that little swab that goes up your nose also reveals your DNA. So sometimes you kind of wonder, well, I just want to get tested. I just want to make sure. Yeah, but you may be some guy in China that's looking at your stuff right now. How about that for comforting? Well, I, I want to just kind of give you a, a just kind of take a pause here and say before I go to this next section that if you know the Lord, don't worry. You say, oh, that's easy after you just told me all that stuff. And reason I say that is because the world has always been a frightening place. You know, if we were living in the first century and you learned about some late technology and, and the Roman army and devastating all nations, you would have a certain level of fear. So it, we're never exempt from this, from this threat from the outside, are we? What we always have to do is be strong on the inside. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. How about don't lean on your own emotions? Okay? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And what's he going to do? He's going to direct your path. He's going to make your way straight. One of the great professors of, uh, of biblical prophecy was a man by the name of, of John uh, Walvoord. And in 1967, these are the words he wrote. The fact that the rise of Asia has occurred in our 20th century with so many rapid and unexpected developments is another evidence that the world is moving toward its final climax and the end of times. In Asia, as in other parts of the world, the stage is being set for the final drama in which the kings of the East will have their important part. So he wrote that 70 years ago, 60 years ago. And he said, keep your eye on this. I have a commentary that was written in the late 1800s, and one of the things that's said in there is when you see Israel become a nation, then you know the prophetic clock has begun to tick. Well, Israel became a nation in 1948. So this writer was writing in the 1800s, and he said, here are one of the signals, the times and the seasons you can look at 
and know for certain that you're living in last days. The return of the, uh, of the kings of the, uh, is an interesting, the king of kings is really an interesting because we, we read about the kings of the east, but what about the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the powerful Jesus who's returning, amen? You know, I love quoting Carl Sagan when he's trying to find his way out of uh, being an atheist, but I'm gonna quote him here, not on the subject of God or religion, but on America. And if many of you know, Carl Sagan was an astrophysicist, and he said these words, I have a foreboding of America in my children's or grandchildren's time. When the United States is a service and information economy, when nearly all the key manufacturing industries have slipped away to other countries, when awesome technological powers are in the hands of very few, and no one representing the public interest can even grasp the issues. When the people have lost the ability to set their own agendas or knowledgeably question those in authority, sooner or later, this combustion mixture of ignorance and power is going to blow up in our faces. You know, not everyone that has a vision or a prediction about the future has to come out of the Bible or has to come out of the Christian church. You see, sometimes I believe that, that there's a certain level of wisdom in our world and that certain people say, this doesn't look right. I don't believe in God, but this doesn't look right. It's like people today who say something's wrong with America, and they're not coming from a faith-based. They're coming from a purely point of view of a democracy and a, and a history of a nation that has been strong because of certain principles that were put into place. In Luke chapter 21, Jesus said this, now when these things begin to happen, look up, lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. In other words, he says, when you begin to read the signs of the times, don't put your head down in despair, put your head up in courage. That means that you're closer to the return of Christ than anyone has ever been before. Lift up your heads, lift up your heads and put a smile on your face because you know the King of kings and the Lord of lords. In Revelation chapter one and verse five, it says, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. It doesn't matter how powerful a king or ruler is or what Putin's trying to do, Biden's trying to do, or, or Merkel or anyone else across the world, Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And the Bible says that he holds kings. Kings are in the hand of God like water, and he moves them in the channels of his hand. Now, get that picture. All the kings are in the hand of God. He says, I'm just gonna move them around a little bit. Do you know what I think sometimes? I think, I think what happened, has happened in America is, for the, is at least directed by God to bring his church back to where it should be. Too long, too long the church has been about entertainment and celebrities. Too long it's been about convenience and ease. You know, people ask me, are you gonna add a second service? I said, I don't think so. I'm tired of just being a consumer-driven church. I think we're just gonna make it harder and harder for you to get in here. <laughs> Amen? You'll get here earlier. When we had two services, nine o'clock service, people, they'd show up about 9.25 and look like they were entitled and, and, and owned the world. They don't do that anymore. We have to come back to center. We have to come back to Jesus. 
We have to come back to the Jesus who said, take up your cross and follow me. You have to come back to the place where we're not worthy unless we're willing to lay down our life for the Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter six, another passage, verse 15. The kings of the earth and the great ones, the generals, the rich, the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves among the rocks and the mountains, calling on the mountains and the rocks. And look what they said. Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne, from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of the wrath has come, and who can stand? There's coming a time when Jesus is, when the heavens are going to roll up like a scroll, when Jesus is going to burst forth, and every eye will see him. Do you realize that prophetic word could never have been fulfilled in any other time? Do you realize this alone gives everybody on planet Earth the ability to see the return of Christ simultaneously? We've never lived in this day before. Never lived in this day. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 through 16, John said, I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it was called Faithful and True. That's your God. He's faithful and he's true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no one knew except himself. And he was clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. Can you give him glory right now? Put your hands together and give him glory. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations. See, he will judge the nations by the word of God. It is written, it is written. Remember how Satan tempted Jesus in Matthew chapter four? And he kept trying to get him to turn the stones into bread. He kept trying to get him to prove his worth as, as the Messiah. And he kept, and Jesus kept quoting back, it is written, it is written, it is written. Guess what? When he comes back, he's going to be shouting, it is written, it is written, it is written. And it said he will strike the nations. You see, these are the nations that were referred to back there in Psalm chapter two, when it says the nations and the kings and the rulers, they set themselves against the Lord and against his, against his anointed, right? Let us break the bonds, let us break the cords that hold us back. By the way, the rest of that Psalm, you should go back and read. It says, yet he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. Do you know God laughs? He laughs at the powerful who think that they can rebel against God, who think they can control God, who thinks that they're in control of life. And there it says that he himself will rule with a rod of iron. He himself shall tread on the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he had on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is the indisputable, undeniable declaration that Jesus is the King of all the kings. He is the Lord of all lords. And the Bible says that there's coming a time when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth will bow the knee and they will say, Jesus is Lord. It's not a matter of whether the world is going to say Jesus is Lord. It's, it's a a matter of when will they say Jesus is Lord. I don't know about you, but I don't want to wait. I want to proclaim Jesus is Lord. Stand with me and let's put our hands together and let's give God the glory, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the soon returning Savior, Messiah, 
all-powerful God, Emmanuel, the river of life, the keys of David he holds in his hand. He's coming again. He's coming for me. Is he coming for you? You need to know him in your heart of hearts. You need to know him with all your mind, your soul, and your strength. And you need to be ready because the days are not going to get easier. They're going to get harder. But I, I guarantee you, you will survive. You will thrive in the middle of challenges. If you don't know Jesus, I want you to know him today. If you have any doubt in your mind, I want you to settle it before you leave this room today. If you're watching online, we want you to know him with all your heart, all your mind, and all your strength. And if you're watching outside, we want you to know him. We want everyone to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? We want to raise up a powerful army that can stand in the midst of struggles and fire. And let me tell you something. Coming to know him is a simple just humbling yourself and putting your faith in what he did. The Bible says that Jesus died on the cross, according to the scriptures, that he was buried and rose from the dead, according to the scriptures. You see, our authority is the word of God. It's not religion, it's not the church, not the pastor, it's the word of God. That if I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in my heart that God has raised him from the dead, here's the promise, I will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from my sin. I'll be forgiven. My name will be written in the Lamb's book of life. I'll have the assurance in my heart that I know him, that he's my father and I'm his child. Do you want that knowledge? Do you want that assurance? If you don't have it right now, just join me in a prayer like this one. Dear Lord Jesus, you can just speak it right out loud where you stand or sit. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you died on the cross. I believe you were buried and rose again to give me eternal life. Save me. Lord Jesus, right now. Now just thank him in your own words. Just thank him for saving you. Thank him for, for being your God, for being your king. And now determine that you're gonna follow him all the days of your life. You're not gonna give up because things get tough. You're gonna follow him. You know, the Bible says, he who perseveres to the end will be saved. In other words, the perseverance of the faith that you have is evidence that you know the Lord. When you hear people say, well, I, I used to be a Christian. I always say, well, you never were. Well, I went to church. I didn't make you a Christian. Walking into a garage doesn't make you a car. You got to know him, amen? And guess what? God doesn't have any grandchildren. Everybody's got to come the same way, the new birth, the new birth. 